Welcome to this episode of Ready, Set, Grit, Your Life on Purpose with Ellen Barton, where you'll hear thought-provoking discussion, inspirational stories, and get action tips for creating the life of your dreams. Hello, and welcome to Ready, Set, Grit, Your Life on Purpose, a weekly podcast in which we talk about the secrets behind living the life you've always dreamed of. I'm Ellen Barton, and today my guest is Ned Parks. Ned is a business consultant. He's a trainer. He's a coach. He's an Army war veteran. He's the co-founder of Aegis 360 Consulting, and he's just completed his first book. Ned, welcome to the show. Thanks, Ellen. Glad to be here. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to have you. And your list of accomplishments, it's just like, wow, that's, that's amazing. But I'd like to start out with your story, just your personal story. You've got quite a history. And I was hoping you could kind of walk us through some of the highlights that led you to this, um, you know, coaching, training place where you're at now. Sure. Well, I'll try to give you the thumbnail sketch of it. Um, I uh, started off uh, my professional career as a policeman which I don't even put in my bio anymore. Mm. Uh, and uh, then I went into the went to the Army, flew helicopters. I was an officer, um, you know, had different leadership positions, uh, spent time in the Army Reserves, and then opened several aviation businesses and ran those as a flight instructor. Still am a flight instructor, actually. Uh, ran those businesses. And um, the entire time I was involved in, in training in one way or the other, the Army actually sent me to the training command. I was a flight instructor, and that was the first time I got to start to work with people and, and help develop them, and either through teaching or coaching or leadership or whatever. And I was very, very lucky. I had some incredible mentors, both in and out of the military, and got to learn from some incredibly good people. And um, I just decided that um, after you know being a part of a manufacturing company that was a great experience, I just had that pull to be back out on my own again. So I started what was then New Directions Learning and Development. We've since rebranded the company to Aegis 360, but I started that in 2000 and um, have been building the business ever since. Mm-hmm. Great story. And it all makes sense, you know, when you put it into context. What does um, Aegis 360, what does that mean? So the Aegis was the, the shield that Zeus and Athena used to protect themselves and um, it was a complete wraparound. It, it talks in the stories and the legends about how it wrapped them completely around. And, and our firm works with companies um, in the area of culture, leadership, and their strategy. So it really is the full, the, 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 entire, the entire piece, everything from pre-hire assessments and teaching people how to um, interview and hire better to what kind of a culture do they want to have once they're there, how do they want to run that, and then you... you and have all the culture you want, but you still have to have strategy. So what strategy do you um, do, do you want to employ to make your company move forward? We do employ opinion surveys. We do coaching. We do leadership development. We, um, we go into companies and help them with their financial statements and, you know, figure out what they should be doing. And if they're going to use another consultant for marketing or something like that, which oftentimes, you know, we make rec- those recommendations that they should. So it's, it just kind of fit. Hmm. Very interesting. And, and yeah, that makes perfect sense. Thank you. Um, what, so like when you go into the companies, what, what are like typical size companies that you'd be working with? Oh my gosh. In the uh, leadership development realm, 
Um, I've worked with companies that are Fortune 100 companies, some of the largest in the world. Um, I've worked all over the world. Um, in the strategy area, they're uh, normally companies that are very privately held and probably under uh, $300 million a year in sales. In, and that would be true in the, in the culture world as well as the uh, assessment side. And then coaching, I've coached for very, very large organizations, up to $8 billion a year enterprises, as well as small mom-and-pop shops that have an embroidery company. I'll do business coaching with them. So it, it runs the gamut in size and also in um, industry. We're, the kind of work we do, we're, we're very cross-industry. It, it really doesn't matter. Um, in Northeast Ohio, we happen to have a lot of manufacturing and a lot of healthcare here. So that is a concentration, but I've also worked with organizations that, that spanned, you know, law firms and, and service industries and did a lot of work in the hospitality cruise line business for a while. Um, so we've spanned a lot of different uh, industries as well. You know, what's been really interesting to me as a business owner is that um, I've had the opportunity to do a couple of really rich um, coaching programs, one being the Goldman Sachs 10KSB program and another being a um, program designed for female entrepreneurs called Count Me In, which was run by Nell Merlino um, from New York City and, and had entrepreneurs from around the country. But what struck me from both of those experiences is how similar businesses are. You know, I know for me, I got paired up. I, I run a video production company, and I got paired up with a woman who ran a pharmaceutical testing company, and um, she was my accountability partner, and we were supposed to work together in the Count Me In program. And, and when we started, we were like, this makes no sense. You know, this is crazy. But it, it, it was such a, an eye-opening experience for me to realize how similar our businesses were and how when it really came down to it, we could learn so much from each other. So that's kind of like, you know, you working with all these businesses, you can apply the same principles. Absolutely. And I, you know, I, that's how we, you and I met was through uh, Goldman Sachs 10,000 small business. I went through the one in Cleveland and, and that's so true. Um, you know, there are a lot of uh, peer uh, peer advisory groups, and they're really best if you're from different organizations and different industries and different kinds of businesses. Um, I love it when we go into a client and they go, well, I don't know if you can work with us because you've never worked in this industry and we're different. And I have to look at them and say, no, you're really not. Mm -hmm. <laughs> if you want to think you're different, you're really not. There are uniqueness to every organization and to every industry for sure. And they have their, their own unique challenges. But um, the unique challenges are always um, not nestled up next to the common challenges that every business has. So they're really not all that different. They think they are, but they're really not. So is that true? You said you've worked all over the world. Is that true when you get into other cultures and other countries? Or is, is there more like nuance at that point? Um, that really is true. There are um, certain things in other cultures that, you know, were a surprise to me um, that, uh, for instance, um, in India, as an example, I had two guys come up to me one time and say, we, we, we can't figure out why we're not getting promoted. So we sat down and talked for a while. And I finally said, well, have you told your boss? And they looked at me like I was out of my mind. And they said, oh, you would never do that in India. Mm. Never. You're to trust that they'll know when you're ready. And you would never do that. And I was stunned. And, 
And luckily they had a, a boss who happened to be an Italian. And I said, well, I said, in, in the Western culture, they want you to come tell them. So go tell it. And um, I knew the boss very well. And I had a side conversation. He laughed. He goes, he goes, oh, that's really interesting. So they went and told him and one of them got promoted. The other one got put on a track to get promoted and, and to, to learn what he needed to learn. And that was just, it was huge for them. So there are cultural nuances like that. But at the end of the day, good employees are good employees and bad employees are bad employees. And it kind of doesn't matter where they're from or what they do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I, I can definitely see that. And just hearing that story makes me think about the benefits of working with a coach in general or, or someone, some consultants, to just give you an outside perspective and um, some, you know, ask those questions and, and give those tips. And it's definitely a valuable um, thing for any, pretty much any business, I think, can benefit from some kind of outside perspective for sure. You know, I, I, um, I have an exercise that I run people through and I'll have them timeline their momentous uh, mistakes they've made in their life all the mm. way back to high school. You know what? A missed opportunity or you passed on this or you, you went and did that or whatever. And, and I don't mean mistakes where, you know, it could have been huge like a divorce or something, but, but it also could just be, gee, I sure wish I had done more of X or Y or Z or whatever. And, and after they timeline that out, I ask them, how many of these did you do in a vacuum? In other words, how many did you do without asking anyone's advice and or you ask the advice of someone who only agrees with you? And, and did, you, did you just not sit and, and, and say, I'm going to go and talk to someone who will have a different viewpoint on this? I can tell you for me, it's probably around the 98 percentile of the, the things that I wish I had done different, missed opportunities, whatever, um, that I made those decisions in a vacuum. And whether it's your neighbor who is willing to sit and have a glass of wine and say, you knucklehead, what are you doing? Or a paid con- coach or consultant or a family member, doesn't matter to me. Um, get somebody who is willing to really challenge your assumptions and your ideas. Um, and if you ultimately go through with it, and maybe that was the right one, that's fine. I've never heard that before, but I love that because just doing a quick calculation in my own mind, I'm thinking that's true. It's, it is when you start to feel isolated and just make decisions without, um, without asking for that perspective. I can think of, you know, I've certainly made my share of mistakes in my own business and, um, rarely were they under the advice of a coach. So that's, thank you for that. What, what are the, um, do you see leadership challenges that you can somehow, you know, generalize as far as, um, and, and this may not be a fair question. It might not be possible to generalize it, but I'm curious if there are similarities of, um, you know, like leadership challenges in the companies that you work with, or if there's trends that you're noticing? Oh, absolutely. Uh, there, it, it, uh, you know, generalize, I'm not, not sure that's the right word, but it certainly is the right descriptor, I guess. I know that sounds kind of counterintuitive. I will tell you that um, I think that if you want to be a good leader, then you have to want to be a good leader, which means look in the mirror every day, um, get advice from others, listen to the people that have been successful ahead of you, 
in all facets, not just the financial facet. I know people that have been financially extremely successful. Some of the worst leaders I've ever been around in my life, they're complete and total disasters. They have revolving doors on their HR departments because nobody will work for them. And how they make money is beyond me sometimes, but they do anyway in spite of themselves. So you have to say, I want to be a good leader. And um, I think it's a, the full package and you have to really um, then do some self soul searching and say, what am I going to do? You got to want it. If you don't want it, then don't go, don't go after it. Don't, don't accept it. Say, you know, be the best individual contributor the organization ever has. I work with a client and they uh, have a program every year that they run called Exploring Leaders. And he specifically wanted it named that because he said, I want people to go through this program. And if they decide they don't want to be a leader, then I'm delighted with that because now they know, we know, and now we know how we're going to develop them to be the best individual contributor they can have. It happens to be a hospital. And he goes on to say, I need really passionate, great midnight nurses in the ICU that want to be there and that they don't want to go do something that they're going to fail at. I want them to be successful wherever they want to be. And that is, that it, it is such an insightful, um, clear vision. And people are very comfortable saying, no, I don't want to. I don't want to put in for that job. I don't want the promotion. Thank you anyway. I like it where I am because he's made it okay to say that in that organization. Mm, that sounds very smart. And I want to kind of like reword my question in a different way. And so you said that if you're, you know, maybe not such a great leader, you you could have a lot of money or success in other ways, but you have that revolving door of people that really don't want to work with you. So are there attributes of a good leader? How can you tell if you're doing a good job as a leader? What, were, what are some of the results that you start seeing in your organization? Sure. The number one priority of every leader is the development of others. So you have to um, um, revel in the success of others that work around you. Uh, hope that they outperform you. Hope that you hire the smartest and the best, um, smarter than you and better than you in every way. Um, listen to what they have to say. Um, I think that you have to have um, unbending uh, drive for the highest integrity. Um, if it's not right, it's not right. We make it right. End of conversation. And those would be the um, kind of the core. And then from there, it, we start to get into technique and style and culture and and so on and so forth. You know, I. Um, I like to say that if I walk in the back of a business and talk to those in shipping, receiving, and production, and management, and finance, and sales, I'll have a pretty good idea who I'm going to meet when I get to the CEO's office. Um, and so what what culture do you want to put forward in your organization? What's important to you? I think a lot of leaders do not write down what's important to them. They don't. I'll have folks do that. I'll say, what? write down what's important to you. And then I'll say, how are you driving that in this organization? And there's usually a massive disconnect, not because they don't want to do it or because they're wrong. They've just never done it before. They've never looked at it that way. It's just a different perspective. Yeah, I think a lot of people don't realize how intentional culture needs to be in an organization. Uh, there's a, there's a, at least from what I've seen, if someone isn't intentional about it, isn't aware that they're creating this culture proactively and just sort of allows it to happen, it's very different than if somebody is writing their priorities down and um, making a point of 
creating that, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. They have to be intentional. It has to be an intentional desire. What culture do we want to have here? You have to ask that question. Yeah. Well, you're making widgets or car parts or medical devices or taking care of people or a psychologist's office or a retail store. What culture do I want to have here? What are the unwritten rules and norms that I want to be um, in place at, the, at, at this organization? Yeah, yeah, incredibly important and a good way to stop that revolving door of employees that none of us want to experience in our companies for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's talk about your book. You've got this book you've just written, your first book. And I know as we were talking earlier, you've got some follow-up books in somewhat in the works or at least planned. This first book is called The Simple and Easy Manager, What New Managers Should Know Before They Need to Know It. Sounds fabulous. Um, tell us a little bit about it. So <laughs> this was really the, the this book, I'll tell you kind of about the book and then the process, I think, is of how I got here. But the book is about a young man who really has his first real managerial job and some of the things and challenges that he has and and what he learns along the way and how he and how he learns it along the way. It's a fable. It's so there's characters and it's written like a little mini novel or a business fable, if you will. And uh it's just very straightforward, and this, uh, the, the, I kind of picked out the things that I thought a, a manager of a small team that doesn't have a lot of authority in the organization um, really needs to, to, to hone and develop for them to move forward. And it's, uh, it's a quick read. It'll be a, it's about 100 and, I don't know, 7 or 15 pages or something like that. Um, so it was designed specifically to be a quick read. It's designed for an individual to read it on their own or to have an internal business book club and then discuss it or whatever they want to do with it. So, yeah, it's, um, uh, and it, and I think there's, I didn't count, I haven't counted. I should count that. I guess I, I guess I should know how many lessons there are in there, but there's a handful of lessons. And, and let me describe the simple and easy. I think that's an important concept, um, to understand. So, um, golf is the simplest game in the world. It's not complex at all. You, you hit a ball, um, into a hole in the ground in as few strokes as possible. And they put a couple of obstacles out there to make it a little more complex because it really isn't very complex. Uh, your opponent uh, tries to be as quiet as possible when you hit the ball and stay clear. And, and there's all sorts of rules of etiquette in golf. So you don't have some 300-pound guy screaming trying to kill you while, while you're up there trying to do your job. The, the question then is, is it easy? And the answer is no. There's nothing easy about golf at all. It's probably because it's so simple is why it's so maddening to most people <laughs> to play because there's nothing easy about it. And those who own the game only even, even those who own it, the greats only own it for a short time period. It's, it's a, it's a incredibly hard game to play. Now, what I've tried to do is take things that are simple to comprehend and easy to execute. We all, so often in the business world, we get taught a model that is hard to comprehend and almost impossible to execute. So we learn it in a workshop or in a book or through a coach and we go, wow, that's great. And then we walk away and we go, there's not a snowball's chance and you know what, that I'm going to ever get this uh, to work. So we step away from it. And what I've learned is 
people need things that are super simple to comprehend and really easy to be successful with it in a very short amount of time. So I really focused on trying to do that. And that's why the simple and easy is it, there's there's a real background to that. Yeah, and a lot of value in that too. Um, what was the so so how did you go about writing the book? What was that process like for you? <laughs> so <laughs> like many people, and this is where I think it it um, I think that the grit part of your show comes through. For many people, uh, you know, you talk to people, and I think that everybody has one good book in them at a minimum. I think we probably all have a book. And a lot of people say, I'm going to write a book. And we get told, geez, you should write a book. And, and, and it feels like an undaunting task. And so we look at it and we say, well, you know, and I don't have the time and, and I, I'm not a writer and I'd have to get an editor. And, and what we're really doing is we're um, putting up excuses for why we're not writing the book. And just instead of just saying, I'm not going to write the book or we're putting up excuses for why I haven't sat down to write the book. And I was having a conversation about eight years ago with a friend of mine, and I was telling him about this book. And he said, well, why haven't you written it? And I said, all the excuses, you know, I don't have time and it's time consuming and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I don't know how I'd get it printed and all these mechanical things. Right. And he said, Ned, let me tell you something about writing. He said to write really well, you have to write really poorly. And he goes, in order to write poorly, you have to write. So shut up and sit down and start writing. It was like a permission that it wasn't going to be perfect the first time I tried it. And that was okay. That's what rewrite is for. That's what editors are for. That's what friends are for to, to read it and tell you what's wrong with it, what needs to be different, so on and so forth. So then about four years ago, I went to a conference in San Diego and I said, I'm going to go early. It was February in Northeast Ohio, um, like 10 below. So I said, I'm going to go early and I'm going to sit on the beach in a timeshare and I'm going to crank this book out. So I did. I went early to the conference, sat on the beach for four and a half days and I cranked this book out. And I got home and I was so proud of myself and I read through it one time and I said, this is pretty bad. This is really bad. So I sent it to a friend of mine and he sent me a text back. He said, it's worse than bad. It's terrible. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> but it was done. It was started. But it, it was, was started. started. And, yeah. and then he said, why don't you write it as a fable? And I went, oh, my gosh, I hadn't even thought about that because I had been very academic in the writing of it. You know, do this and do that and step three and step six and blah, 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 and like every other business book on the market. And it just didn't have any characters. So then I got a hold of a friend of mine and I said, who, who's a playwright? I said, I don't know how to do that. He said, build your characters. The book will write itself. So he directed me to a website that has a questionnaire for the people who write either plays or movies or books, doesn't matter. And you develop the characters. And there's this long question. You, you first come up with the name and how old are they? What do they look like? What's their eye color? What's their hair color? How long is their hair? What's their religious beliefs? Are they from a divorced family? I mean, and you just have to answer these. You just make it all up, obviously, because you're making up a character. So I went through and I made up the characters and he was right. The book just about wrote itself. And then I sat down and I cranked out the fable. And and um, then I hired a book coach and a book editor. She's the same one of the same. She she does both sides of the house. And she was then extremely in for, instrumental in helping me shape, you know, the 
the mechanics of the book and where to get it printed and all those sorts of things. So, so yeah, I wrote this really terrible piece of garbage, um, which is I hope I hope has been uh, deleted from every hard drive it ever went on because I don't want anybody <laughs> to find it 50 years from now and say who wrote this piece of trash. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. But you know, but you got it done. And that's the thing is, uh, one of my favorite authors is Elizabeth Gilbert. And she has this, she wrote Eat, Pray, Love and um, right. several, many other books. And she has this thing that her mom used to say to her, which is done is better than perfect and stop getting hung up on perfect. And and that's a hard thing for many of us to do, you know, but I I think your strategy was right on is just to sit down and do it and and take it from there. Yeah, you just have to sit down and start. You just have to start somewhere. I actually, uh, the first one that I wrote, I actually decided I was going to start with chapter eight. And, I, and someone said, why eight? I said, I have no idea. I said, how many chapters are going to have? I don't have a clue. But if I start with one, I'll sit here and look at the computer all day. So I'm going to start with eight, like, like chapter <laughs> seven are done. So I started with chapter eight. Now, the, the funny thing about that is that particular book, had I gone forward with it, any chapter could have been anywhere it was just topics per chapter it didn't matter there was no sequence that needed to be in play so it kind of didn't matter but it got me started so i just sat right. down and said okay i'm just arbitrarily going to uh, chapter eight you know it could have been come chapter 10 later it didn't matter i just started with chapter eight because it was the only way i could get my fingers to the keyboard and i just had to do it it was just one of those things where i had to grit my teeth and say damn it i'm gonna uh-huh. do this. i'm gonna do it and and no more excuses and no more reasons and no more anything. I'm going to sit down and do this. And I think the other thing, Ellen, is there's, you know, there's a lot of people out there that, you know, we feel funny if we've never done anything like this, because if they don't come right out and say, who do you think you are writing a book? We know they're thinking it. And we don't want to be that guy, right? You know, is there anything you can't do, right? You think you're <laughs> We don't want to be that guy. Well, I'm going to tell you, be that guy or gal. Yeah. Just be that person that says, yeah, I think I can, so the hell with you. And if you don't like it, that's your problem. It's not mine. You don't have to like that I think I can write a book. I'm going to write a book. I'm going to be done with it, and that's okay. Now, the one thing I will tell anybody that's even considering this, please, for the love of everything literature, hire yourself a book coach, somebody that has published their own books. They've helped other people publish books. They can edit. Um, not a, Do not, and I please don't do this, do not get Aunt Susie, who's an English teacher. They may be able to do grammatically, you know, where the commas and semicolons and, you know, the right sentence structure. They might be able to do that exceedingly well. That is not editing a book. That is proofreading the grammar. Those are two vastly different things. And uh, I will tell you, hire somebody who really knows how to do it and do it right. If you're going to do it, do it right. It doesn't have to be perfect, to Elizabeth Gilbert's point. But I do believe we can be professional about it, and we're going to do it right. Do not do, pardon the expression, a half-assed job at this. And I will tell you, they're not as expensive as they sound. They really aren't. I, you know, it, it was, I don't want to quote her price on the air, but it wasn't an exorbitant number at all. Um, and we would send things back and forth, and she had a structure and a process and and the mechanics of it and about the different things you have to go look up and the categories and how it has to be placed on the front piece. And 
So it'll look professional when it, you know, as you get it, you're going to go, wow, this is a professionally done book. This isn't something someone just did and then sent it to a print-on-demand person and then cranked it out without anybody looking at it. It's, it's pro really professionally done. So spend a little bit of money and hire a real pro. And they're out there. They're out there. I, I just recommended mine to somebody, and this guy said, oh, my gosh, he's <clears throat> been amazing already, and he's barely started. Yeah, that's very true. And there's, you know, and if you are not a writer, truly, there are ghost writers that can help you. And there's, there's so many people. One, so I just finished my first book, too. And one of the things that I had no idea was going to happen in the process of writing was that it was going to be such a collaborative effort. So I do have a publisher, I do have editor, and a, a cover designer and all of that. And, um, but in addition to that, there's all the the friends that stepped up to read it. I mean, it's all part of the process and you definitely, definitely hire the professionals because nothing will discredit your message more quickly than a non-professional presentation, layout, structure, you know, all of that. Well, absolutely. You know, I, I yeah. looked at a, a guy's book here the other day that, um, you know, I looked at it and I wouldn't hire him to do anything for me. Yeah. It was such a piece of trash. And I don't know if the content, content could be amazing. It could be amazing content. I didn't even read it. I said, yeah. if this is all the effort you put into it, then I'm not interested. So, you know, and I'm going to sell, you know, it's self-published through a self-publishing house, uh, but a good one, uh, you know, and I spent a lot of time going through and figuring out, you know, who, who to do and how to do it and why to do it and how much to spend and, and again, the book coach was invaluable in that information stream to help me. I say, I don't know. You know, she would ask me questions. I'd say, I don't know, Nancy. You know, I, I don't even know what you're talking about. You're the expert. You put it in there the way it's supposed to be done. And she'd say, okay, this is how we're going to do it. Okay, fine. Because, you know, I trust her and I know it'll be right. So I really, I really wish people would go down that road and, and just, just get a little bit of help and do it right. And you don't, you don't even have to ghost write. A good editor will, you, you write, and they'll really help you out. And ghostwriting can get expensive. It, that can get pretty pricey because mm -hmm. it's a lot of work around. But, but, you know, if you can write at all, they'll help you straighten it out. I'm a fairly okay writer, and she didn't have to do a lot of rework. She, the editing process was more, okay, you know, uh, we have a problem here. You said in Chapter 3 he'd been there three months. And then in chapter two, you said you've only been there a month. Oh, okay. Well, I think I need to fix that, right? <laughs> so, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, um, there was things like that that she caught. And, and then, you know, she'd, you know, as you write, your brain is going one direction and your fingers are going another. And you knew what you meant when you wrote it. And then somebody else reads it. And they don't have a clue what you're talking about. So she would come out and say, this paragraph makes no sense. You're going to have to rewrite it. And I'd go, okay. And I'd come back and rewrite it. Ah, that's perfect. Now I get it. And if it's a book like mine, you know, we use some terms in there and she challenged me on, you know, are people going to know what that means? And, and should you describe it at least once? And do we need a glossary? And, and those, so those sorts of questions that I probably never would have thought about. And we took all those into account as we wrote the book. That's great. And what I, so great advice. Thank you for sharing that. And what I also love about your story is that it took you so long to get started then after you've gone through this process, you mentioned to me that you've got other books that you want to write and now you're ready to do it. And it's like the floodgates have opened now, which is really cool. You know, it's again, getting back to that core message, just start, 
if, if any of our listeners have a, a seed of an idea or, or that book inside of them that's just dying to come out, you know, just, just do it. Just do it. Yeah. You know, it was interesting. I, um, I had this all laid out in my head. This was going to be one book and Quentin Spalding is the main character in the book. And, and, and what was fascinating is, is I wrote like crazy after I got going on the fable side and everything was moving along and I got down to, I, I said, I have one more chapter to go. And I, I just, the brakes got slammed on and I was in a panic. I had no idea how I was going to finish the book. I said, I don't know where it's going to end. And then, you know, I, I interacted with somebody and, and literally, literally waiting to go to a Cavs game in, in Cleveland last, uh, at the end of the season and um, I was, we were drinking a beer and he said something and I went, Oh, that's how I'll finish it. And the way I was going to finish it was I'm going to finish it by him getting a promotion, which is the next book because, uh-huh. because Quentin is a, is a manager of about six or seven people in a small little department. He's got some, you know, leadership uh, authority, but not a lot. And that's a whole different animal than all of a sudden getting this big promotion and having P&L responsibility and so on and so forth. So that wrote that last chapter and I already began the next book, which then I said, the next thing that's going to happen is he's going to buy a business. And that's the third book. And he's going to leave this great company and he's going to buy a business because a new business owner has different challenges than the manager. So it's going to be, you know, kind of a little mini series and they'll all kind of work around the same. So it was fascinating how how being stuck actually was a great opportunity. It was very frustrating in the moment. But then this guy said, you know, he's sitting at the bar and he said, I just got this big promotion. I got to learn all this new stuff. And I went, oh, my gosh, there's my next book. There's <laughs> it. That's it. Thank you. I'm buying the beers. You're <laughs> That's <Thank> funny. You. <laughs> Well, you know, the universe always provides us with answers when we're open to hearing them, you know. <laughs> like, well, you're the you're asking. There is open to hearing them. You're exactly right. <laughs> yeah. No, absolutely. That's very cool. Well, Ned, I could sit here and talk to you for, you know, probably another hour, but I want to wrap this up, you know, in the interest of keeping the podcast relatively short. Um, is there anything that you want to leave us with? You've got you know, I, I'm sure there are like a million tips and tricks and ideas, but is there anything that's stand, sticking out to you that you want to kind of like wrap this up with today? Yeah, I guess I guess the one thing I would tell you is I, I try to, you know, uh, not be a person that um, has every waking moment is completely and totally productive. You know, I don't know that that's healthy. Um, there's a part of me that would like to be that way. I'd get a lot more done. I'd get a lot more accomplishments. But then there's another part that says, you know, sometimes a cold beer and watching Game of Thrones is just perfectly okay. <laughs> it just really is, you know. Uh-huh. And But I think there's got to be a balance there. I think we get too far into one thing or the other. And so, you know, there's this big thing of work-life balance. And I heard somebody say this to me. I wish I'd coined the phrase, but I'll gladly share it that they said uh, they don't know that that's the right term, that, that we get off mark. And and they said it should be called work-life harmony. And I really liked that. I thought, you know, that makes sense to me because now maybe some of my work actually strengthens some of my life and some of my life actually strengthens some of my work. And, it you know, I can, um, I can, you know, bounce back and forth and do different things and so on and so forth. I'm a bit of a workaholic, um, so I tend to, to – be a lot more in that vicinity. Uh, but then um, 
uh, sometimes I'll go the other direction and it's just all Game of Thrones <laughs> or whatever. Uh-huh. And right. that's not healthy either. So I guess I would just um, encourage people to, you know, if you've got these things on your list that you want to do, um, do it. And, and the other thing is we talk a lot about a bucket list. Um, actually write it down. My, I actually have a written bucket list. It's not in my head. It's actually written down. It's actually written down. And I, I think that's something that we need to do a lot more of is actually write down your bucket list. And if a book is on it or writing a song or a play or, you know, doing a children's book or a picture book or, I don't know, traveling or whatever it is on your list, doesn't have to be a book, it can be anything. And, and just write it down and you will find that a lot of the excuses that you use to not do it kind of go away on their own. Thank you. That's, that's great advice. And, um, yeah, I mean, actually, you know, sitting here thinking of thinking I'm going to make sure I have my bucket list up to date right now. So thank you for that. That's, that's good. Good way to wrap it up, Ned. Thank you. This was fun. I appreciate it. Yeah, it was fantastic. I'd love to have you back on. I'm sure that we have many, many, many more things we could talk about, but, uh, thank you for today. I look forward to the book which is coming out early 2018, right? That's correct. Yes. Wonderful. Well, we'll look out for that. And I will put links on um, the page on my website that has um, information about you and your website and and links to your book and all of that. So people can find you there. And um, I really want to thank you so much for being here with us today. It was great. Um, Thank you all for listening to today's show. My guest was author, entrepreneur, trainer, and coach Ned Parks. And you can find this complete interview, links to his website, social media pages, and his book on our website, readysetgrit.com. Thank you again for joining us and check in again next Friday when we release another episode with tips on turning your daydream into a phenomenal success. Thanks for tuning in to Ready, Set, Grit, your life on purpose with Ellen Barton. Look us up online at readysetgrit.com where you'll find daily inspiration, links to our social media, and where you can access our ebooks and online classes. Ready, Set, Grit. Inspired actions, real results.